Coming up this week on the Smitty and Mitty Show, we're joined by longtime sports media personality Mark Hebsher. You're not going to want to miss our nearly 40-minute interview coming up now on the Smitty and Mitty Show. And now... Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Start your engines! 90% of the time, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. The show that's got everyone saying... You're so dumb, for real. With Smitty. What you just said is one of the most idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Mitty. I've been in this business 15 years. What's your name? you. That's my name. This is the Smitty Mini Show. Smitty Mini Show. In studio, Tyler Middleton, Noah Smith. Yet another week, mediocre sports talk coming to you through your radio. We're sending the radio waves from here. It's getting picked up by your radio and being transmitted to your eardrums. You make it sound a whole lot easier than it is. That's that. I basically here Thomas in the Smitty, Smitty Show Studios don't create any radio waves. We do something more important. We create sound waves via the we, internet. We create content, and we send that content via the internet. I create sound waves with my voice to the people my, that are legally allowed to have radio stations and radio waves, because that's not us. We're not allowed to have radio stations or radio waves. Dave Middleton, Sunlight Fung, your life is brighter on the side. Gold Line Curling, the choice of champions, our amazing sponsors here on the Smitty and Mitty show. I'm back in studio. I didn't plan on being back in studio. But we got a pretty big guest coming up for you here today, and I feel like I needed to be in studio. If you are of the born in the, you know, let's say mid to late 60s into the 80s. Yeah, I would say if you're born after 85 maybe 85 right? 65 no born after like because you could be 10 and watching him on on air in the 90s you know like oh i mean sure yeah started right? in 84, I, was, right? I was trying to give them a gap like, right you know okay right okay I, I, yeah, yeah okay 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 point being point what do you mean point being point okay. being we had a pretty big guest coming <laughs> yeah. up so that's but, why i swung into studio but today. we didn't know but we had no idea we had no clue and we're actually going to talk about that in a little bit with him because i feel like he might uh get a kick I was kind of waiting for you to just like be like, "Oh, he's coming on here today," and you just you just didn't. No, I was waiting for you. Like you're the one who's all like, "Ooh, woo, woo!" Exciting. Mark Hebsher joining us uh, in just a little bit. And when I say just a little bit, he's going to join us for the second and third segments of the show. We really wanted to bang out like almost an hour's worth of content with him because it is really um, an exciting guest for us. And it is the first time in a while that we've had someone on that uh, we don't know a whole lot about or didn't know a whole lot mm-hmm. about coming into the interview yeah a lot of research went into this right like we and, had and not and i don't mean that in a mean way to him at no, all no it just he just was off air in a sports way um before i was born so it's hard for me but you know when i text my dad and i said We're, we have uh mark coming on the show and he's oh this is uh he did this he did this i watched him forever he was like he was the guy who kind of started all of this that you guys are doing, he they were kind of the first show on Sportsline that took by on a global that took over and um, made you know the 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 talk side of sports a little more prevalent versus you know the buttoned up um, just straight highlight show. So yeah, we're gonna talk to Mark in a little bit here, and it's gonna uh, I think it's gonna be fun. I guess we'll see. But yeah, it's gonna be. A I would blast. assume so. It's gonna be a blast. It's gotta be. It always it's is. With us. Do you thank the sponsors yet? Yeah, I did. You, you did? Okay. Or you got already got that out of the way, so we're fine. We can basically just like begin the show now. We have we have actually begun yeah, the show. We, we did. The show. We did hit record. We did. It, it's happening. It is recording. It is now coming out live on the radio waves, as you say. So, is there anything? Because we're, you know, we're not going to get a whole lot of of topical sports. I don't think done this week. So, is there anything you want to talk about here in the next, you know, five to five to seven minutes that was really pressing on your brain? I want to say no, just because that would put you in a tough spot to then continue on with the content. So I'm gonna say no. Okay. Well, here was something that I don't. I don't think we talked about last week, but I did send you. Okay. Can I just say one okay. thing? Yep. We have been really into the immaculate grids lately, mm-hmm. and you know how back on this show we used to do games like spelling bee. Yep. I thought it'd be fun to do immaculate grid. I didn't make one, so we're not gonna do it this week. But just so you know, I thought it would be a great idea. So. So just I was let about. Me know. Just give me. No, is this okay. is this a plus or b b minus content? So yeah. I was about to send us down an actual line of sports conversation. Yeah. 
and you thought it important to stop me. Correct. And tell me about something, not that you did for the show. Just that you about. planned of doing for the show. <laughs> just, I, no, I never even planned on doing it. I just thought it would be a good idea. Okay. Right. Is often how these conversations go. Mm-hmm. I, would I, it have been a good idea? Sure. I just, okay. That's Do you all want I to just give me a word I just, and I can try and spell I it just, out? Or? I just needed the validation. You can, you can... Validation. Go. <laughs> on the spot. I haven't got the dictionary out in a while. V-A-L. Mm, this is where it's going to be tough. It could no, be a, it's it could not be... that tough. A? V- v- what? Vala? Uh, no. Vala? Va- is it I? Well, I can't help you. It's not against v- the point of the okay. spelling bee game. V-A-L-I-D-I-T-I-O-N? Uh, no, there's a D in there somewhere. There's got to be no, a D there's... there somewhere. Validation? Did you not have a D in there? I don't think I put a D in there. I don't know. I, I can't even keep track anymore. We need one of those little, you know, the, the sing-alongs for Disney, the little hopping button, the hopping ears. <laughs> we need? Yeah, we need a hopping ear to go with me. I was thinking if we just had someone going up there and touching the board and the letters illuminate. All right, we're going to wrap things up here on the first segment. Exciting guest joining us in just a little bit here on the show as Mark Hebsher will hop on and we'll have him for probably about the next 40 minutes here on the Smitty and Mitty show. Don't go anywhere. You're listening across the TSMS radio network and here on the Smitty and Mitty show podcast. Even though I'd just gotten a new job that paid well, I still wanted to be prepared for the unexpected. My Sun Life advisor encouraged me to do three things, get health coverage, start paying back debt and build a safety net. When I got my cancer diagnosis, My advisor had already helped me become debt-free with enough set aside for emergencies. When I took time off, I didn't worry about my finances so I could focus on getting better. Today, I'm in remission. Call Middleton Finner Financial Services with offices in King Carden and Port Elgin. Another curling season is upon us. Whether you're a beginner, a pro, or somewhere in between, having the proper equipment makes all the difference. Shoes, brooms, jackets, pants, gloves for men, women, and children. Whatever you're looking for, you'll find it at goldlinecurling.com. Goldline, the choice of champions. You're listening to the Smitty and Mitty Show. Welcome back to the Smitty and Mitty Show here on Rogers TV in London and Gray County. Uh, pleasure to join us on the show this week, longtime Canadian media personnel. Mr. Mark Hebsher. Mark, it's uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for joining us this week. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Any anytime you want to talk sports, yeah, yeah, you know, ring me up. I'm available. We were we we were fighting about what the intro was going to be. We were thinking about amateur golfer now, but uh, but we went with sports media personality. Yeah, that'll work. I mean, intros <laughs> and titles really that you know once you get to the meat of it doesn't mean that much. I mean, you know, hard to you know, sort of categorize somebody. I, I guess. You know, media personality works or whatever works for you. I don't know. I never thought about it that way, but okay. <laughs> well, especially somebody with uh, such a long rap sheet as yourself. We <laughs> want to start. We want to start at the very beginning of it, and you know, the boring beginnings of why did you put yourself into sports media at the time um, when you were just a young lad coming out of school? Well, it wasn't called sports media. I I think it was just broadcasting, right? And then there was the, you know the sports part of it, but you know, I mean. Back in the day, if you turned on the television at six o'clock or eleven o'clock, you'd get the news, and then you get the weather, and then you get entertainment, and then at the very end, the last three minutes, you'd get the sports, and then the sports guy would invariably have to cut his sports short because they were running out of time because they had to get to Wheel of Fortune or whatever the next you know the TV show was, right? So, sports kind of got the back end, you know, of you know the caboose of the of the news, news, weather, sports. And uh, eventually, uh, you know, it, it morphed into two full-time sports networks in this country and all sports radio, really quite quite different than when I started. Um, but, you know, the whole idea was is that I really didn't have to want to work for a living. And I thought, you know, gee, if you could go to the games and report on them and get paid for it, that would be a great job. So that, that was pretty much the idea was I loved sports and I knew a lot about sports and um, the broadcasting part of it sort of, you know, was a natural uh, place to go. It was, a, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't say it was a dream, but it was something I, that I had aspired to, to do. And uh, yeah, you know, reached my goal certainly of that and, uh, and then some. So 
worked out well. So you got your start and in, in your schooling at Conestoga College, and then you go from there out to Montreal. Tell us a little bit about getting your feet wet in the media industry. What was it like? How were the beginnings for you? Uh, was it nerve-wracking finally getting on air for the first time? Well, I don't even remember the first time I was on the air. It was so long ago, and it was probably something insignificant, right? So it wasn't one of those watershed moments where he went yes the first time i ever like i probably kept the tape maybe for i don't know a short time but it wasn't that big of a deal at the time it probably was hey i you know i did it i spoke on the air and people were listening to me uh but i actually started in kitchener <clears throat> when i was going to school i was on the college radio station and i i actually worked for two different radio stations at the same time uh, under two different uh, on-air names one was mark walker and the other was Mark Johnson. That's it. Because Mark Hepsher wasn't the kind of a name that flowed off the tongue back in the 1970s on the air. You had to have some kind of a handle that was easy for people to remember. This was the programming idea. It was, you know, you're never going to remember a name like Hronowicz or Hepsher. How do you spell that? You know, that's why everybody's name was Stone or Steel or, you know, whatever their real name was, their on-air name was something short and quick, kind of like a comedian, right? You had to like easy to remember. So on one station, I'm Mark Walker. The other one, I was, uh, one station was in, um, was in um, Hespler, which is Cambridge, right? Now, but then it was Hespler. Yeah. Yeah, But then it was Hespler. There was a station in Hespler, uh, or at least was it within the boundaries of Hespler. And then the other station was in Guelph. And you really couldn't, like, I didn't think you could hear one from the other place. They were pretty weak stations. And I was on at night, so I was moonlighting. I was double moonlighting under two different names. And then one night I got caught. I had, I said the wrong name. I said Mark Johnson, and which was my name in Cambridge, Hespler. But um, I said it in Guelph, on the Guelph radio station. <laughs> the boss heard me and was like, what? And then found out that I was working for two different stations. Um, and I got fired from both. Right. <laughs> 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 And I did I did harness racing. I also, when I was at college, I got a job because I knew harness racing. They'd opened this new harness racing track called Flambro Downs. And they raced like once a week and they needed somebody to call the races. And so my program director at Conestoga College, Gary Parkhill, uh, said, do you like horse racing? I go, yeah. He goes, There's, they're doing auditions for a race caller. And I went, man, that sounds like fun. That'll be cool. But it's really actually really hard work because you got to, like it's hard to look through the binoculars and remember like the number and what's the horse's name again and what are the colors of the driver and stuff like that. But I really loved that. So I made some money doing that as well. And then before I got to Montreal, actually, I worked in um I worked in Niagara Falls, Ontario for a while. And then I worked for Foster Hewitt's station, CKFH in Toronto, which had the Blue Jays and the Leaf games on. And I got fired from that job. Then I went to Montreal. <laughs> oh. A lot of getting fired here, Mark. I mean, you're not a lot. <laughs> um, so then you move on and, and and you know, before you move on to what you're you're most famous for, um, you're doing Blue Jays, right? You're doing Blue Jays pre and post game as well. And I had, I, had, I had a weird question about that. And I don't know if it, it, it really fits in here, but I'm going to ask it anyways. How did those the pre and post games change? What's the evolution of those kind of things? Because now you know it's it's betting lines, it's you know their war, their advanced war, their you know, spin rates on sliders and stuff like that. And back then, I don't I, like what what are you just talking about? Who's the hottest hitter? The guys that they've had up? Like how do you fill a half hour of time back then? No, back then it was more around the league. Um, I had reporters in every city. Um, and specifically American League East cities, you know, so Baltimore, New York, Boston, Detroit, Cleveland at the time were in the American League East. Um, and so those were the games you played the most within your division. And um, and so I had we had reporters and, and you know, I would do the pregame show and I would say, oh, let's go live to Baltimore now. And on the line is, you know, Mark Jacobson, our Orioles reporter. And he'd go, this youngster, Cal Ripken, is tearing it up for the Orioles. And, uh, you know, a little report on the Orioles, so sort of a scouting report thing. Um, but, yeah, whenever you could get a good news story out of another city, you know, it was great. Um, that's people really, like back then, people really sort of took to, like, what was going on in the other cities. Um, not because of betting, because of the rivalries that were developed, and it was new and exciting. And 
and you know these you know the earl weavers and the billy martins and the reggie jacksons and people like that really were quite dynamic personalities and so you wanted to know what was going on in the league and some behind the scenes stuff and without social media you had to depend on the beat reporters the guys that uh, and it was pretty much all guys that covered the teams and these guys were stringers also for other stations so they would make money you know appearing on my show for example we would pay them i think we paid 20 dollars like for a hit, you know, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. Right. But if the guy could get, you know, four different stations to work for, you know, 80 bucks for a Saturday afternoon was like good though. If you're a young up and coming radio guy. So um, it was a more about the league and the post game show was like, we took phone calls and man, it was just, people would be so upset. And I, I you know, I have to say to them, look, I mean, did you expect they were going to win every game? No, but not giving up four runs in the ninth. I said, look, if I said to you they were going to lose 80 games, and I said, out of those 80 games, you know you're going to lose 80 games. Out of those 80 games, four of them, okay, will take place in the most heartbreaking possible fashion, you know, down five runs, whatever, however, a wild pitch in the bottom of the ninth. Is it going to happen that way? Can you accept the fact that this was one of those games? No, we can't accept it. It was inexcusable. Fire the manager. So you had this daily, it was wonderful after each game. And I, I much preferred it after the Jays lost because that's when you got the best phone calls and you got the best comments. When they won, it was like bandwagon jumping. Oh, I love Brent Monix. He's a great player. Yeah, he went four for four and he had the game when he hit. That's great. But, you know, okay. And then everyone else would jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, Red should play every day. Forget about the platoon, blah, 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 stuff like that. So when they lost or when there was controversy, that was always the best. And it still is to this day. That's what fuels, I think, sports radio and sports talk is failure, right? It's not the winning all the time. It was boring. Can you imagine covering the New England Patriots all those years? Oh, boring. Tom Brady. Boring. Okay. They won again. Hold on. We hear about that all the time when we when we interview uh, folks like yourself who have worked in the media industry for, for so long and, and have hosted those types of shows that they are often the most entertaining and kind of I don't want to say fulfilling, but but the most kind of self-fulfilling shows to do because you get to talk to a lot of different people and you get to really voice your opinion on air and kind of knock heads, if you will, at certain times. Um, we haven't gone into depth about a lot of the other roles that you've done over the course of your career, but but where does that kind of rank up there in terms of, you know, po hosting those post-game and pre-game shows, taking those calls? Was that one of the more fun jobs that you got to do over your career? It was the most fun Um the pre and post game stuff, you have to understand that uh, I had already done just to, like the, the talk shows prior to those Blue Jay games. So in the early 80s, I was working at CJCL and then uh, later at 590, which was CKEY at the time. And I had my own two hour nightly show. So five nights a week, Monday to Friday from six till eight, I was on the air. And it was just me. And I, you know, it was a phone in, it was, it was a phone in phone out show is what we called it because we would phone guests, right. And say, look, we want to call you Bob Costas. We'd say, look, we want to call you. We need your phone number. And we would call him at his apartment in New York at a predetermined time. And he'd be our guest, you know, for a while. And we had wonderful guests. And occasionally they would come into the studios, which were downtown Toronto at number one young street in the Toronto star building. Um, so good location. Um, and, and I loved it. It was great. I mean, you put the show together every day. You get up saying, what's in the news today? Who are who do we have scheduled? And is it relevant stuff? And what are we going to talk about at the beginning of the show? And I would do a, uh, I would pre-tape a commentary with the late, great Jim Shaky Hunt, one of the legendary uh, Toronto media guys, started and, and did, you know, wrote for many, many years, Hall of Famer. And then as a broadcaster, a tremendous uh, sportscaster and very opinionated and a wonderful guy to, bat, you know, butt heads with, right? So every night we would go back and forth about one thing or another. He'd be upset about one thing, and I would I would always take the the other side, the devil's advocate, right? And you want to get a good lively discussion going, and it, it would get heated. Some, some you know most of the time it was, you know, you'd sort of laugh it off at the end, but a few times it'd get super heated where you would take a stand on something, right? I think one was the drug policy of the NHL, which was really harsh. It was they caught Don Murdoch of the Rangers with like some cocaine in his wrapped up in his socks or whatever and and like the, they suspended him for like a year oh a year jeez a year <laughs> right? 
Um, and I think it was later commuted to 40 games. It was in fact, um, but yeah, that was sort of in the, and that would have been in the, I don't know, in the early eighties where it was like, Whoa, a year, you kill somebody. Well, especially right. when, when everyone else is uh, hiding their socks because they got the same thing in the locker room. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so stuff like that. So that, to me, was exciting. I enjoyed doing that because it was what's happening in sports. Nowadays, I couldn't do a show like that because there's so much going on and so many people that want you to talk about their favorite subject. And how come you're not talking about women's soccer? And how come you're, wow, I got news for, I don't have time. Like, there used to be a time where I watched more television than anybody. Now I could never keep up. I could never keep up. Yeah, that's why this is great because we only have an hour and we got no real bosses. So we just kind of talk about whatever we want to talk about. And it tends to be just baseball because we like watching baseball. So it's pretty yeah. much all we talk about. And uh, you're right because there isn't enough time when when it's not your uh, full-time job for us to just watch everything. So we watch what we like. Uh, now let's move because after that you get a call from Global, right? And you move on to Sportsline and it becomes what is, uh, I, I think, what most people would know you for, one of your most successful ventures uh, in life. Uh, uh, where, who who gives you that phone call? What's that phone call like? That's a good one. Yeah. So I'm working. So I'm doing the Jays pre and post game shows. <clears throat> um, I'm trying to think about this. And yeah. So in the middle of the summer, I'm at a friend's place, and I get a. I think we had an. I had an answering machine back in those days. So you would phone. You'd call your phone number with a, a pound sign before it or whatever, and it would give you your messages from your home answering machine, right? You'd retrieve your messages on the road. This was a big deal back then because like you could actually, you didn't have to go home to the actual physical machine to get your messages. You could get them via your phone. Huge deal. Touched on phones, right? I'm telling you, trust me, that was a big deal. So I could be, was that my friends would say, yeah, you know, just for fun, I got to check my messages. Check the message and I hear a voicemail from, it wasn't a voicemail. It was, you know, on the message machine. Was well, strange voice who was the vice president of news at Global Television and said, "Listen, you come very highly recommended. We've been listening to you on the radio. I'd like you to come in to talk about a show that we do here called Sportsline." Now I had watched Sportsline every night. I was a, a devoted watcher of the show. Bob McCowan, I had worked with. Uh, he got me my start in Toronto radio. I was his producer for you know, so, know a year and a half or two years. And so I watch Sportsline every night. And now here's a guy saying, we're bringing you in for an interview for Sportsline. I'm like, what? Like it was a single show. It was a one person show. Um, and then he said, we're going to, you know, he, he didn't say we're going to make it a two man show. He just said, you know, we'd like to come in and talk about it. And went in. And then he said, look, we're, we've just let Bob McCowan go. And we would like you to join, you know, Jim Taddy and, you know, take over this, like make it a two person anchor show. I said, all right. And then he said, this is how much we pay. I said, man, I'm making more than that in radio. And I got this, you know, good kind of good gig. And, and also it's only during baseball season, like once baseball season's over, I can go off and do, you know, whatever I want. So I kind of liked it, you know, and I think I was making 45,000, which was a pretty good salary then. And again, and I was only working, you know, so if you seven months, eight months, let's say. So he's like, Oh, um, uh, hang on a second. And he gets on the phone with, I guess, the financial guy. And he kind of turns his, he kind of goes and he turns his back to me. And he, excuse me a second. And then he turns his back and he's huddled into the phone. And I'm sort of listening. And he hangs up the phone, swings the chair back around. He goes, all right. He goes, how about $65,000? And I go, yeah, you know, I got to drive here. I live downtown. It's easy for me to get to the station there. I, I got to have a car, man. I need like money for a car. Pounds his fist on the table. He goes, how much for a car? I go, I got to have another 5,000. I got to get a car. So he goes, all right. So is that good, be good enough for you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there you go. So I never worked in television before. And now I got myself a, you know, I think it's a pretty good deal. And things went really well after that. I was there for um, 11 years. And yeah, we revolutionized television. Don't, they make no question about it. it wasn't for us. Our show, um, Jay and Dan, Tim and Sid, you name it, um, Dan Patrick and Keith Overman were a decade after we started them, I would say. I don't think they got going until the early 90s. I legitimately have written down here as a question, Tim and Sid, Overdrive, uh, Dan Patrick, do you, do they owe everything to you? So there you go. You answered yeah, that question answer. for me. Yeah. I don't know if they, like, I don't know if they owe everything. I, I just know <laughs> this. I think eventually had it not been me and Jim, eventually 
um, somebody would have clicked on saying, hey, let's, you know, put two guys together that sound like they're, you know, your buddies could be your next door neighbor. So was, the there, was there that conversation in that meeting with Global? Was there that conversation as, you know, we're going to be a less buttoned up version of something that was already happening and you were going to be those funny guys? Or was that something that organically happened between the two of you? No, what happened was they had basically said, look, we like we like Jim and Jim's personality, right? Uh, we really think that you and him would be great, really good together. I already knew Jim. You know, we'd known each other. And we got along well, right? You know, we're as rivals, quote unquote, but not really. You know, working in the same market and covering kind of the same stuff. And Jim had a good dry sense of humor too. And it was a very good dry sense of humor. And this guy, Ray Hurd, who, was, who hired me, uh, he was right. It was it, it was good chemistry. It worked out really well. And the banter happened totally organically because it wasn't a rigid, you know, C-spot run. Here's a goal, final score for two. It was here's the highlights and go ahead. And in fact, when we started the show, my first suggestion was let's take the. Um, let's take the 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 <laughs> when they would run highlights and it was from a particular package, it would have the wild announcer sound in the background. So the BG sound, the background sound, you would hear the announcer, you know, uh, the game announcer, you know, in the background. And I said, well, let's just wipe that audio out and let's put it, just put in music. Something that's got a nice beat to it so that when you're watching the highlights, there's some, you know what I'm saying? Especially, you know, especially, well, not especially with hockey, but it was like, you know, let's get something more than just hearing the announcer or dead, dead air and then. I don't know, some random wild sound. So so I said, look, I, you know, I got some really good music and then, you know, that would really fit really well. And it would allow us when we're doing the voiceover to hear, you know, get a little bit of energy going. Anyway, it worked like a charm, of course. And and that kind of helped the, you know, it was different. Our show was different. You know, it was half an hour long, but also we had music and we had we ran long bumpers with NHL stats that instead of waiting the next morning to read it in the newspaper, you'd get it. Like right there, here's your scoring leaders. Here's your up-to-date conference uh, standings. I mean, all that stuff. And we were on again between 1130 and midnight, which you had to stay up late to watch it. And if you didn't, you would tape it uh, and you'd watch it the next morning at breakfast, which a lot of people told us that's what they did. The next morning, they would just put it on the VHS and boop, they'd watch. You know, what's the difference if you're watching it at seven in the morning or at 1130 at night? Nothing happened in between, really. Now, is that something that took off fairly quickly? I mean, you mentioned you were kind of the first to do it, uh, to switch it up, the dual host, the add music, the kind of more laid back. Are you guys get any backlash on that? Did people say, whoa, this is different. What are you yeah. guys doing? Or was everyone all for it right away? Um, so we didn't know how successful, like we didn't know who we were reaching. We had no idea. Like we knew that global, you could see all over Ontario, but we're from Toronto. What did we care about in Huppetsville or Northern? Like we, you know what I mean? We're Toronto centric. I don't care. Um, it didn't matter to us as long we were fighting. As far as I was going, CFTO in Toronto, you know, the CTV station, TSN, which was right across the train tracks from Toronto, had started right around the time I started started up. Um, um, uh, CBC in Toronto. Um, um, CHCH in Hamilton, City TV in Toronto. So these were, and the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail and the Toronto Sun, you know, and the radio stations, that's who, that's what our competition was. So we had no idea um, that like everybody in Ottawa watched us. We thought everybody in Ottawa watched the Ottawa local Ottawa stations, right? We thought everybody in London watched the local London station and whatever that guy's name was, Pete, Gary Allen Price or whatever. We just did not think that why would they watch a show from Toronto? Well, we were wrong. <laughs> they watched. And so we were overwhelmed and very surprised when we went to Ottawa, for example, and people were like clamoring all over themselves. Like, Oh my God, we watch you guys every night. We sort of couldn't figure that out. You do. Well, why would you watch us? You guys are from Ottawa. Oh, cause you guys, the way you present it and we love the highlights and you show all the NHL highlights, you show NBA highlights, which nobody was, you know, the other stations were showing NBA highlights. Toronto didn't have a team. They didn't show highlights. So, yeah, we revolutionized it. And, you know, we had a half an hour. So we could kibitz around. We could, you know, run long highlight packages. But at the same time, we also could run good stories, like good journalism. Right? Follow the Leafs, follow the Blue Jays. 
uh, you know, when the team's in town, you're at practice every day. Uh, if they're playing significantly on the road, you hit the road and go follow them, uh, cover big events. We did all that. I did all that for over a decade, and that was uh, very fulfilling as well. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like you guys were just goofing around for a half hour because there, were, there was some serious, <laughs> serious sports in there, uh, some as well. But was was the organization, was, was the, 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 the company, oh, like, were they – okay with what you were doing the whole way? Was there ever a point where they kind of tried to rein you back a bit and you just broke free or they did hold yeah. you back or were they no, just the opposite? That was the opposite. First of all, it wasn't run by a corporation. You know, the owners at the time, uh, Paul Morton and Seymour Epstein were, I don't want to say two guys, right? It's a little more than that, but uh, sharp businessmen, uh, you know, uh, and, and fairly wealthy. Global had made them, you know, fairly wealthy as well. Uh, we had really good programming, um, you know, um, and so... They essentially was like, look, this is, you know, something's going well, leave it alone, you know, allow people to manage, you know, don't micromanage. Um, if it's hot, it's hot. And let's face it, uh, you want to, uh, you, you want to be able to support as much as you can um, something that's, that's uh, people are enjoying, right? So the news is sort of a necessary thing. You've got to cover the news. News is usually a lost leader. It's not a money maker at all for the company, but it's necessary. Uh, and you're making your money on programming. Well, Sportsline was was earning the station like a million dollars a year back in the '80s. You know, a million bucks that they didn't have the year before that you know they can sell those advertising, and so advertisers were paying a considerable rate, you know, to be on Sportsline. Uh, we had companies that said, "Look, we want to sponsor the trivia. We want to sponsor." Uh, Hebsey Awards, right? Ford did it for years. Um, so yeah, you had Molson was always, you know, they wanted to sponsor. They wanted to give beer away on the show. They wanted to give it away. Like if you got the trivia question, you get beer. And people were going, no, no, no. You know, running shoes, we can give away. Watches, we can give away. Like, I mean, not beer. We're not giving beer away. Like, you know, but so they said, we want to sponsor. Uh, so it wasn't Molson's actually. It was Budweiser. There was the other thing too, was Molson sponsored the hockey that ran on Global. But Budweiser was a sponsor, a big sponsor, uh, or Labatt, which was Budweiser, was a sponsor on, on Sportsline. So it was, you know, there people were clamoring. It was, you know, the more eyeballs you had the more sponsors wanted to be, especially the sponsors that thought, you know, who's watching the show? It's guys, right? Not that women didn't. It's guys. Okay. How old are these guys? I don't know. They're up at 1130 midnight. They're, you know, they're not working on what we found out later that there was lots of people that, uh, you know, stayed up late or, or taped it. And I, I don't know how they did the ratings in those days, but I, I, I don't know. I think that if you taped it a certain way through cable or whatever, that, that it um it showed up in the ratings. And nevertheless, we had hundreds of thousands of viewers, and uh, it was a cult following at first, and then it just sort of, I don't know at what point was. But I do know that we went to Ottawa, maybe our second or third year together. We walked into a bar, and everybody in the bar just turned around and went, "Holy God!" and just went nuts in Ottawa. And we looked at each other, "What, what the hell?" You know, it just it was it was bizarre. Um, and that's when I think we both went, yeah, we, looks like we got something going here, huh? So uh, That's got to be a great feeling. Mark Hebsher joining us here on the Smitty and Mitty Show this week. Uh, if you are watching on Rogers TV in London or Gray County, that's all the time we got on the show for this week. But we do have more coming up on the radio show as well as the podcast. So make sure you tune in there for the next segment here on the show. Uh, and Mark Hebsher will be back with us here on the Smitty and Mitty Show. Even though I'd just gotten a new job that paid well, I still wanted to be prepared for the unexpected. My Sun Life advisor encouraged me to do three things, get health coverage, start paying back debt, and build a safety net. When I got my cancer diagnosis, my advisor had already helped me become debt-free with enough set aside for emergencies. When I took time off, I didn't worry about my finances so I could focus on getting better. Today, I'm in remission. Call Middleton Finner Financial Services with offices in King Carden and Port Elgin. Another curling season is upon us. Whether you're a beginner, a pro, or somewhere in between, having the proper equipment makes all the difference. Shoes, brooms, jackets, pants, gloves for men, women, and children. Whatever you're looking for, you'll find it at goldlinecurling.com. Goldline, the choice of champions. This is the Smitty and Mitty Show. All right, welcome back to the Smitty and Mitty Show. Happy to still be joining us. Mark Hebsher here. Thank you very much for sticking around for a, another segment with us. 
I'm going to be honest. Can I can I have honest time for a second here? <laughs> the cone of honesty. I didn't want to do this before because I didn't want to get you upset, and, and I don't mean to get you upset. But so I was looking through Facebook, and I saw you had you had commented on some Blue Jays thing. Um, so I went to your your profile. I saw um, you know, you were on Sportsline and all these things, all these lists of accolades. I thought, oh, it'd be really great to talk to. Sent you a message. You were more than gracious enough to come out with us. I didn't realize how big you were in the sports world until I sent my dad a text and said you were coming on the show. And then he called me. He didn't even text me back. He, <laughs> raved, he called me to rave about it. So it's not that I didn't know who you were, but it was just that I had no idea how big you were until I talked to my dad. And then all of a sudden this got really serious. Well, that's nice of your dad to uh, promote me like that. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, listen, it was a long time ago. It was uh, fun, and uh, I'm glad that they could bring some smiles, certainly recognition. If they don't remember who you were, then obviously you didn't have much of an effect. If they remember, that's a good thing. Well, he definitely remembered you. <laughs> so I, I, I want to take some time here because, you, you know, you had a podcast. You stopped doing the podcast. And I feel like you haven't had time to uh, to rant and rave about some sports here. So we're going to I want to give you an opportunity. And do you want to start with the Jays? Let's start with the Blue Jays and the analytics that go into pulling Jose Barrios in what, 80, 40, 40-something 40 pitches into a, to an elimination yeah. game. Do you think yeah. we're going too far with analytics and baseball? Do you remember a few years back when the Jays were in against Tampa and they, was it Matt Shoemaker? Was that the guy's name, the pitcher? Yeah. And I remember he was doing just fine. And Charlie yanked him after the fourth inning and right. I think at that point, and that's three years ago, right at that point, I just remember, wait wait, wait a second, wait a second. The guy's pitching well, come on. He knows something we don't know. This doesn't make sense. If your bullpen was locked down and fabulous. Okay. But still come on. Four innings. The guy, number of pitches. No, there wasn't anything that suggested that Shoemaker be taken out of that game. I remember that distinctly. And, going, well, so, and that was that the analytics. Well, it showed a second time through the order or whatever it was at the time. And of course, they lost that game and they lost the series. But that to me was a turning point in the analytics. The owner, oh, no, no, let's what happened with not going with your gut, but just sort of observing as opposed to looking, this was like premeditated. Like with Berrios, it was premeditated. It was like, oh, there's no way we let him go to here. If he can get to there, then we bring in so-and-so. Did they go to him and say, okay, this is our plan? And was he okay with it? And even if he wasn't okay with it, I mean, come on, the man's a starting pitcher. He, you know, you're emasculating him. I didn't like that at all. And I just think that, yeah, analytics is taking, it's too much. If that's the case, then any monkey could manage any team, right? Just pull the analytics or the guy from upstairs presses a button. Analytics says, eh, go. That's where I, I have a theory that I think our hall of fame managers have gone by the wayside. I don't think we're going to see more managers like, you know, the Cito Gassens of the world. Oh, he's because, not in the hall of fame though. He's, well, he's not, not yet. He, he may be up. He, he may get him. Yes. He may get him. But who, whoever you want to put on that, that pedestal. I just don't know if we're going to have those again because I feel like we're going to have a cycle of young managers constantly coming into these spots that are okay with the analytics and are okay with just going with whatever the front office said. There's going to be no real gut feeling to any of these. Like Dave Roberts, I I have a feeling he's going to end up being a Hall of Fame manager, and I think he might be one of your last ones you're going to see. Hmm. Well, listen, just this year, I mean, just having Boshi and uh, even though Rob Thompson is not a young man he's old school many many years of experience and so you know you know there never has ever been in the history of baseball a situation where a wave of new managers came in within a certain period there's always the overruns the guys that have been around for years look at boshi came back for gosh sakes Mm -hmm. so you're always going to sort of have that recycled thing and not and not just in Baseball, but in other sports too. It's the familiarity because remember the GMs played with these guys that still have that. GM wants his own coach, G, right? You know, that kind of thing. President wants his GM. So you're always going to get this sort of cycle. And it's the guys that stick around for many, many years with the same organization and are successful, you know, that are the most hard to find. The Bill Belichicks, of course, of the world. So, you know, I, I, I don't know about that. I don't know that You'll never see another Hall of Fame manager. That's really hard to say. I mean, for all I know, Kevin Cash is a Hall of Fame manager. Next 10 years, the dude wins six more championships and maybe a couple World Series. He's a Hall of Fame manager. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. I, I, well, I he's, he's just playing. He's just, he's doing the exact same thing. We, we saw it with Toronto is kind of the worst case, right? Like if that worked out and once again, we go back to that series this year against Minnesota, the offense wasn't there, right? If, if the offense had been swinging the bats, if we had any offense, then we might not even be talking about the decision made and Barrios being pulled. And I think it, it, that's really what it comes back to, to me. You have to, you have to, blame, you have to blame the manager. <clears throat> the team didn't seem really hungry to me, right? It didn't seem like if you don't win this, you know, it's curtains for you guys. It was all too friendly. And this is where I think that the familiarity, oh, John, John Schneider was a teacher. He was a facilitator. Charlie Montoya was a teacher, an instructor. Now, in-game, big time, American League East, you need a manager. You need a proven manager who's seen all these situations in the majors, not in double A. Oh, I remember Vladdy did this or whatever. You're also dealing with, you know, a front office that said, here's what, this is what we're giving you. This is what you got. There you go. Vladdy's a first baseman. Is he a gold glover? Yeah, sometimes. Is he always a gold glover? No. Right? Did we sort of overestimate the power of Vladdy? Sure. How could we not? 48 home runs, gold glove, the young guy. We've been talking about him since he was two years old. A lot of pressure on a guy, right? But can, yeah. but can you drop him in the batting order? Oh, no, you'll hurt his feelings, his ego. We don't want to, be, we don't want to take away from him being him. So you have this dilemma where you've got a guy who basically is a lazy ball player, lazy, right? You put him in the at the position where his laziness costs you the least, which is first base. You could be lazy in a first baseman. Haven't heard too many guys go, oh, this is lazy, right? I mean, come on, think about it. And he turned into, because he played corner infield, he turned into a, you know, a gold glove or, you know, certainly when it comes to his range and his abilities, Man, he can he can flash the leather there. Sometimes he gets a little too full of himself, and sometimes he's but you know his fundamentals are not that of a first baseman, and he's not a and and to me the key is is that he's a right-handed throwing first baseman, which means you really got to work on playing first base. So, uh, how great of a player is he? <laughs> can you mention him in the same breath with Acuna Jr. and Soto and Bryce Harper? No, like, no. you're preaching to the choir here because uh, the Smitty and Mitty show fans know that I have been harping on this for years and i think that 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 you know that that awesome year in minor league ballparks let's not forget no, no i think that's going to be an outlier of his uh, of his career i think he's a guy that's going to hit balls at 114 miles an hour but they're going to be line drives more often than not and he's just not going to be that power guy that i think we got tricked into thinking because you know top prospect all these things name recognition happens and we put him up to a spot that i just don't think he is he's he's a hall of very good player but i don't know if he's going to be um an all-star player that's really going to that your your team um can build around year in and uh year out Thir 30 years by the way today as we record of the joe carter home run mm -hmm. do you remember there. Are you yeah. the, oh yeah i was there where were you sitting there. in the press area uh, i was sitting well i was sitting up in the press box in the left field for the first seven and a half eight innings i guess it was and then it was like you know the game was tight and it was like okay because we had to do t hits for television um, and it was, oh boy, it was late. I'm trying to think what time it was. It was late. It was getting close to 11-ish kind of a thing. Uh, it wasn't extra inning. So yeah, it would have been around that. And so around the eighth inning, I went downstairs to join my camera operator because there was either going to be a celebration on the field or there was going to be heartbreak and we got to get to the locker room and there was going to be a seventh game. So it was, a, as I recall, it was, you know, quite tense, but I, I, first, I didn't think we were going to win. I was like, oh yeah, we got this one in the bag and we were trailing and then got down there. And then once I, we got downstairs, it was, you could just sort of, oh boy, here we go. And yeah, it was, uh, and then when he hit the home run, we just, everybody ran onto the field, ran on there with my camera. I, I don't even remember running with the microphone, <laughs> trying to get wild sound and, just, you know, it's just said, just, just, just record everything. Just record. See, it wasn't digital uh, in those days. You weren't, you were actually dealing with actual tape, videotape. So uh, I think each one of them were 20 minutes worth. So he had a, you know, the guy's got, I carrying a bag. He's got, you know, if he's, I'm, I'm running on a tape. Are you okay? Give me that one. Okay. Label it. Okay. Make sure you label what's on there, the interview, whatever you got. And then he pop another tape in there. Okay. Off you go. Go get more stuff. 
See you in the locker room. Watch out for the champagne. I, I was worried for a second there that you were going to tell us that you missed it, that you didn't get to the, see it. The Dan Shulman. That you were underneath the seats and you didn't get to see. No, I sucked. Yeah, Dan Shulman in the elevator. <laughs> no, 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 I saw it. And let me tell you, I want to tell you, it was like it, it, it got out in a hurry. Like if, like he hit it and it was like, holy... And before you knew it, it was over. Like it, it just, you didn't have time to think about it, but it was just what. And then, yeah, it was uh, fabulous. Was, was it uh, hard at, at, you know, those times to, to be critical of, of the team and players? When, well, when they just won the world series. You can't be critical. Of well, I mean, not, not at that, not at that point specifically. Yes. <laughs> no. But when, but when you're seeing them before, you know, the, the, the world series, um, when you're seeing them every day, is it hard to be critical of them? but then as well have to go in front of them and be in the locker room and, and get face to face with them. Uh, you know, that's the age old uh, problem with media is that if you're going to talk, you know, trash about somebody, you know, uh, you better be prepared to face that person. And so I think what happened with the athletes was many years ago, that if you did that, you would go down in the clubhouse and you'd see the guy. Nowadays, you, you, the guy goes to a podium somewhere or, you know, the scrums are few and far between. It's very regimented. Now you can't go up to a player at his locker, really, like you used to be able to. You can't, you got to make an appointment. And even then, there's a PR person there and you're only allowed to ask certain questions and they make this guy available. So he's not available today. Much more difficult. You had to really, you, you had to develop a relationship with the player. Look, I was on George Bell's case a lot. I wasn't the only one, but you know, if he screwed up, I was on his case a lot. And I'd see him at the, you know, and he'd look at it and he'd, he'd, he'd wag his finger at me like this. <laughs> And I didn't have to say, look, you know I'm right or whatever. The point of the matter is, is that when he played well, I said, man, the guy is unbelievable. I'd hate to – I said I said that there's one player in the league that I would hate to play against among all others. I said it was George Bell. And he came to me, he said to me, that was a nice compliment. I go, I meant to George. I go, you're a son of a bitch. You're just so <laughs> difficult. You're a, a really hard out. Like you're just – you. I'd be exhausted just thinking, how do I get this guy out, Right. And so that you know that was something that we may, you know that meant that I was proud of the way he played that I wasn't you know you have to balance these types of things up and so you know you develop these relationships now it's very hard for any reporter to develop a relationship with a player first of all a lot of them don't even travel anymore they work from home mm -hmm. uh, and secondly usually it's just the rights holder like you know that has you know that th their reporters have access to the players and the team controls the message now. It's beautiful for the teams, right? It's great for their PR departments. And they expect, you know, um, certainly the rights holders to be, to not be critical. Uh, not all the time, but to give the team a break because you're like, you're a partner. Like they're paying all these millions. They're paying your salary. Therefore, don't fight the hand that feeds you. And even though your bosses will never come out and actually say that, although I shouldn't, I'm not positive of that, it's, it's inferred. It's like, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. They're your partners. You know, you just, Roger signed that billion time of 12, what it was a billion dollar deal, right? Mm -hmm. Partners, yeah. you can't be, yeah. you know? I mean, Elliot Friedman's not going to go and slag the league. Uh, although although that would be a, entertaining in yeah, a certain forum you can you can do that and say what well, they screwed up with the pride tape and all these numerous other things but you know you have to have, it's got to be balanced and you've got to be have a pretty good reputation to get away with saying that That's yeah did was i do remember you talking about how um when the leaf signed on with with one of the companies that you were working for and you were mindful that you had to be you know, less critical of that organization. Did anyone like, did people say that to you or was that just a thing that, that came to you that, um, you know, I, I, now that the Leafs are on my television for, or that are on my station for 30 games or whatever it was, I have to be a little more mindful of what I say. You have to understand too, is that I was a Leaf fan growing up the biggest, you know, everyone says I'm the biggest. Well, I was that kid. I was that kid. But since I started you know, covering the team and, you know, specifically since I got into the media in the late seventies, I realized that I can't be that person anymore. I have to look at it with a critical eye. And so the biggest critics are the biggest fans. The biggest supporters of the team are also the biggest, biggest critics, right? You're entitled to do that. You cheer loudly and you boo loudly when they screw up. And so I was that person, but in the media, it was, it was, hmm. 
you don't want to slag someone individually. You don't want to, but some people put themselves out there and they just, they're headed for a fall, right? You have a great season. People expect that from you every season, right? What do they say? They say you've got a lifetime, okay? A lifetime to score your first goal, lifetime. But then once you scored your first goal, they expect your second goal. When's it going to happen? Let's go, <laughs> right? Let's go. You've proven you can score. Let's go. And so it's that, chasing all that time and chasing, chasing, chasing that the athlete, you know, is they're single-minded in a lot of cases. And when the media comes and asks certain questions to either derail that or question it or something like that, it's, it can be a very difficult thing to handle. If you're an athlete, you're not used to failure and you're not used to speculation from outsiders. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark Hebsher joining us on the Smitty and Mitty show this week. We are out of time uh, on the show this week. Mark, it's an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you, uh, talk about your career, talk some sports here on the show, and uh, we're absolutely going to have to do it again. Thank you for hopping on with us this week. Pleasure. Uh, guys, it was really uh, it was great being on Smitty and Mitty, and uh, thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. Another curling season is upon us. Whether you're a beginner, a pro, or somewhere in between, having the proper equipment makes all the difference. Shoes, brooms, jackets, pants, gloves for men, women, and children. Whatever you're looking for, you'll find it at goldlinecurling.com. Goldline, the choice of champions. Even though I'd just gotten a new job that paid well, I still wanted to be prepared for the unexpected. My Sun Life advisor encouraged me to do three things. Get health coverage, start paying back debt, and build a safety net. When I got my cancer diagnosis, my advisor had already helped me become debt-free with enough set aside for emergencies. When I took time off, I didn't worry about my finances so I could focus on getting better. Today, I'm in remission. Call Middleton Finner Financial Services with offices in King Carden and Port Elgin. Now back to the Smitty and Mitty Show. Welcome back to the Smitty and Mitty Show here on the TSMS Radio Network as well as the Smitty and Mitty Show podcast. We are here to wrap things up for yet another week of sports content, and it was a busy one. Uh, our guest, Mark Hebsher, joining us for almost the entirety of the episode, talking all about his sports career, and at the back end a little bit, talking a little bit uh, about some topical sports, stuff that's going on in the sports world right now. And Mark just loves, loves, loves to talk sports, so uh, hopefully we get the chance to bring him on the show again big thank you to our sponsors goldline curling the choice at champions and dave middleton at sun life financial Inc. in carden life is brighter under the sun both of those sponsors help and make this show possible every single week we're going to wrap things up here thank you for tuning in across our network of stations and on the smitty and mitty show podcast and we look forward to seeing you next week